Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. was preparing for this message and before all this stuff happened. And so I kind of have been immersed in Psalm 22 for a couple of different weeks. And so that's where we're going to be today. The Psalms are um, an incredible gift to the church. Um, Have you ever opened your Bible and just like pointed to a verse and hope that the Holy Spirit would guide your finger and that would be the verse you needed. It's pretty cool how it happens, right? I've done it before and I've had some cool stories. I've, I've heard people have done it, but I just want to let you know that is not a good way to read the Bible, okay? It's not. I mean, I've done it before and ended up in Ezekiel and there's some weird stuff there, right? Or you might end up in like First Timothy where it says uh, a woman will be saved through childbearing, Here's the deal. If your marriage is falling apart, you're not going to be saved by having a baby, okay? If you feel like you're wandering in the wilderness, having a baby is not the solution. But if you just open your Bible and pick that one verse, hey, you might say, God's telling me to have a baby. Maybe not. Or uh, maybe in uh, Leviticus where it says to stone someone who's wearing a shirt of mixed fabric, right? If you're wearing polyester this morning, meet me out back. Right, So it's not a great idea to just open your Bible and randomly pick a verse and hope it works. Now, the Holy Spirit can use that, and he has done that. But when reading Scripture, context is king. It's important that you know what's going on around the verse that you've come to. Um, The Bible, it was written for you, but it was not written to you. It was written to ancient readers thousands of years ago. So it's a gift for us, and it speaks into our lives, and it's written for us, but not written to us. So don't read the Bible like that, (laughs) with the exception of a particular book, and that's the book of Psalms. And the reason, it may be Proverbs, okay, I'll give you that one too, but today we're talking about Psalms. And the reason it works for Psalms is because the book of Psalms is an ancient hymnal. Do you guys, anybody here remember hymnals? Right, I was I was pretty young when I went to a church that had them, but I can remember having it in the back, and you opened up and and what's in a hymnal? You guys tell me what is in a, in a hymnal? 
songs, hymns, right? Uh, certain churches have the creeds in there. If it's really liturgical, they'll have like the communion liturgy in the hymnal. It's, it was basically the book of worship for that group. And so this, the, the Psalms that we have is that exact thing. Now, Charles Wesley wrote like, I think it's like 4,000, I don't remember the exact number, like 4,000 hymns. We, you probably know three of them, right? And, but th- what happens there, you think, think about uh, Garth Brooks, right? Garth Brooks' greatest hits. Not every song he wrote was great, but there's a bunch of them that were. And so he's got a greatest hits album, right? So there's this, that, uh, <laughs> our, our book of Psalms is like that. It's been distilled down. The Dead Sea Scrolls showed us that, that David wrote over 4,200 different Psalms, right? So what has happened is over time, the church has uh, filtered down the ones that they needed most for their worship. It's been distilled down to everything God's people needed for worship. They're not written as instruction in how to live. They're not passages that are narrative to tell a certain story. No, these are songs, poems, and other liturgy that God's people have used to worship him for thousands of years. And because of that, Psalm, the Psalms have this unique feature that allows us to that allows the reader to use them immediately. Now, sometimes context is important. It can bring out the meaning. And it talks about the bulls of Bashan and the lions that we see in, in Psalm 22. It's important to know what those things are because it enhances the reading of the Psalm. But we can get the point just by opening it up and reading it. There's a, one of the church fathers, Anthanasius, I probably butchered that, it is what it is, but most, he says that most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And so what I'd like to do today as we unpack Psalm 22, I would like to to let that happen where the Psalm will actually speak for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where life isn't going as planned, anybody? (laughs) <laughs> I know for Lauren and I, we obviously have just experienced something pretty significant with the, the death of Bobby. But for you, it might not be the death of a loved one. It could be a job, maybe a new one or one that you recently lost, or a friendship that's been severed, or a parent that is sick, or an unplanned financial hardship. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but we all have had a moment in time where we have experienced this, this unplanned incident in life that leaves us feeling like we are in the desert, like we need to just be delivered or be rescued from that moment. For us, yes, it's about Bobby. And as I was writing this, I just kind of thought about the events that transpired. Many of you, especially those that are in our small group, have know we've been going up and down battling this for some time. Bobby was, he was 56 years old. That's too young. He was battling pneumonia, but it, it didn't seem like it was too serious. He got a couple of times where he was sick and took some medicine and got better. Then he was in the hospital, but got better and came back out. Then he had to go back into the hospital. It was up and down for weeks. Eventually, they had to put him on a ventilator, and he did so well on the ventilator, they took him off after three days, and we had all this hope. And then less than a week later, they're like, you know what, I think we might have to put him back on a ventilator. There was multiple times where we had our bags packed, a foot out the door, getting ready to go to North Carolina, and ended up staying and saying, you know what, Bobby didn't want us on the road, and he was doing okay. There was this hope that he was going to be getting better, and then it wasn't. They thought, maybe we'll put him back on the ventilator. And that day we got the call and they said, hey, 
If you left right now, you might not even make it before he's gone. And that wrecked us. I was in the middle of loading the dishwasher. (laughs) Those dishes sat in the sink. (laughs) We packed up our stuff. We didn't even have enough stuff to get through a couple of days. We had to buy some more clothes while we were uh, in North Carolina just to get through the week. We made it up there at like 2 o'clock in the morning to say our goodbyes. And by lunch the next day, he was gone. Such a low point for us. My guess is you know those experiences. Maybe it's not a death, but you know those valley moments, those moments where you're in despair, where you're in the middle of the wilderness and you just feel like you want to be rescued, pulled from that situation. And even as a pastor, I'm sure in my faith, I love God with all that I am, but I was not without those questions that we all have in those moments. Questions like, I don't understand. Why, God? Where are you, God? How could you, God? I had all of the emotions. Yes, sad and grief, but I was also really confused and very angry. It wasn't fair that we were going through this. It wasn't fair that my stepmother-in-law had only been married for a year and a half and lost her husband. It wasn't fair that my wife and her brother had now lost their second parent. And all these things are welling up in me. And you, you have those moments where you question God. And I know I'm not alone. Have you ever been in those moments? Have you ever felt like just, like just because you questioned him, did you feel guilty? Have you ever been around maybe a pastor or a grumpy old Christian who made you feel guilty for questioning God? I'm here to tell you that it is okay And more than just tell you, I want to prove it to you by letting Psalm 22 speak not just to you, but for you. Now, in the the psalm, the writer goes back and forth between the valley moments and the the mountaintop moments. What I'm doing this morning is I'm I'm picking out the valley moments. I'm going to read them all together. And then I'm going to pick out the mountain moments and read those all together to get the point of what the psalm is trying to tell us. So I'm going to read several of the verses, not, not particularly... Um, in order, but I just want to read these parts of Psalm 22 and let you see just how real the psalmist is. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and far from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. Do not be far from me because distress is near and there is no one to help. I am poured out like water. My bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. The psalmist does not mince his words here. They are honest, they are raw, and they are real. And the reason this is so good for us, because in our day and age, we have our community, our people, the people you work with, your family, your coworkers, the the people at the grocery store, we are craving that real, raw honesty. Most of life right now is lived on the internet. And the internet is anything but real. You can't trust anything you see. I don't know if you guys have seen the stuff with artificial intelligence and the new AI stuff. I mean, I heard a rap song by Jay-Z yesterday. Don't judge me, okay? And, but here's the thing. It wasn't Jay-Z. They put 
five minutes of him singing into an artificial intelligence thing. And this computer wrote a song and sounded exactly like Jay-Z. I don't know if you saw pictures of Donald Trump resisting arrest. It didn't happen. You can look closely, get online and look at him. He's got six fingers in one of the pictures. Okay, so like it's not real, but when you go online and look at it, it is a real picture of Donald Trump resisting arrest. I don't know if you saw the Pope (laughs) wearing one of those puffer jackets looking like he's Jay-Z about to go (laughs) administer the elements, right? All white puffer jacket. It's incredible. It's fake. But you would never know by just looking at the picture. You cannot trust anything you see on the internet. They can Think about how we look up stuff online right now. You Google it. And you Google it, and if there's like four or five websites that all have the same information, you tend to trust that it's real. But within minutes, you can now create 10 websites with the same misinformation and the same fake pictures with the same fake voices, and we would think it's real. We live in a day and age where misinformation is everywhere, and the people that you interact with are craving real honest truth. And we get that in the Psalms. We get that in scripture. The Psalms are honest. They're they're lyrics written from the heart. They're written in times of despair and times of being on on the mountaintop. Sometimes life leaves you with that feeling like your bones are disjointed. Sometimes life leaves you feeling like your heart is made of wax melting inside of you. Sometimes life leaves you so drained of energy and with a lack of will to go on that your strength feels like it's dried up like clay. It is okay to not be okay. And it's okay to cry out to God and let him know. You know why? Well, one, one, this is written in every commentary about this psalm. It starts out, why have you abandoned me? Well, it means that there's belief, right? If God's not real, who are you mad at? If God's not there, why are you calling out to him? If he's not real, death is just part of it. You live, you die, you become fertilizer. There's no real meaning to life. But if you are crying out to God in real honesty, saying things like, why have you abandoned me? It is evidence that there is belief there. It means you believe he's there. It also means that there's trust. The psalmist says, why are you far from my deliverance? Don't be far from me. And you, in reading this psalm, you can hear the angst of the writer. You can hear their despair. You can hear their confusion. But it's all with this knowledge that God can come through. There's this need to be delivered. There's this trust that God can deliver. So we ask, where are you? Even though I haven't seen it, I know you can do it. So I'm going to be real and I'm going to ask why. Why haven't you? And the third reason you can be honest and you can cry out to God is because why not? He knows. He knows you are hurting. He knows you are angry. He knows you are weary. He knows you are confused. So you might as well be honest with him. And you know how I know he knows? Because he does something about it. He does not leave you in your sin. He does not leave you in your despair, but he delivers you. Check out the rest. Listen, this is some more excerpts from the same Psalm, from Psalm 22. The same person that just wrote those words we read a second ago about the heart melting like wax. 
the, the, the writer says this, our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and they were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the wild horns of the wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for the kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nation. This is from the same psalm. The same person crying out, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Is now crying out, you answered me. Praise your name. We are satisfied. We are delivered. God delivered. He came through. He did not leave the psalmist in the pit. He did not leave him in despair. He did not leave him in the wilderness, but he delivered him. He did something about it. Yes, we have mourned Bobby this week, but we did not mourn without hope and we did not mourn alone. God was there by our side the entire time, giving us peace, comforting us, and he continues to carry us even when we have these moments of feeling like we're lost and in the wilderness. But this is the coolest part about the psalm. We're doing this Easter egg series, right? Here's your Easter egg. This is verses 16 through 18 of Psalm 22. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. These isn't dogs like Mozzie and your pet, right? These are the wild dogs who are are often rabid and mean and angry, right? For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all of my bones. People look at me and stare at me. They divided my garments among, among themselves. They have cast lots for my clothing. That's the psalm. Right, Psalm 22. Now, Mark 15. Centuries later, the story of Jesus. This is Mark 15. It says, they crucified him. Do you know what that is? Do you know what the crucifixion is? It's a gang of evildoers closing in on him, piercing his hands and feet. He's so beat up and malnourished that you can count the bones under his flesh. People standing around staring as he breathes his last breath. Just like the psalm we just read. It goes on, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. The same thing that the psalmist is experiencing, the same thing they write about poetically in this poem of despair and being lost in the wilderness, is the same thing that Jesus experienced. And this psalm was written centuries before Jesus was even born. Just like Isaiah a couple weeks ago, the crucifixion has a, as a form of death penalty has not even been thought of yet, let alone practice. The psalmist had no idea what, the, what it would look like, had no idea that the crucifixion was even a thing, yet he chose the words like being pierced, being able to count the bones, people staring. Tell me the Bible isn't incredible. <laughs> One of the cool things, actually, and this is a fun fact, all right, Bible nerd here. The scholars, most scholars believe that Mark, when writing his gospel, actually used Psalm 22 as the outline. So the, you can read Psalm 22 and trace it over the entire book of Mark and watch how the psalm mirrors what happens 
in the gospel. Now, why would Mark do that? What, why is this a significant Easter egg? I've been using a different version, um, the, the Christian Standard Bible, to kind of hide it a little bit from you. Because if we go and we read the NIV or the ESV, you get something that I think we would all be familiar with. See, the verse 1 of Psalm 22 is usually translated like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's from Mark 15, 34. Jesus hanging on the cross. He cries out those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And oftentimes we read those and we think Jesus is in despair. He just feels like God has abandoned him. And it's true. But Jesus does this intentionally. This is a big deal. See, whenever he's quoting Psalm 22, and whenever a New Testament uh, author or a person that we read about in the New Testament quotes a verse from the Old Testament, they're like picking up the handle of that passage, and they expect you to know the bucket. So they will quote one line from a passage and they expect the reader or the hearer to know the entire bucket. This is why you can't just pick a verse and read it, that you have to put things in context. And here, the, the, a resource for you, all right? If you don't have a study Bible, get a study Bible. If you don't have money for a study Bible, you can go online to Faith Life. Uh, I think it's faithlife.com and it's a free one. And if you, you're reading your study Bible, it's got these little letters beside the words, right? They have like A, B, C, or D. So you get there and you says, why am I, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? It's got a little letter. You drop down to the bottom and it says, Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. So then you as the reader are expected to go to Psalm 22 and read the whole thing. Because Jesus is saying, I'm not just saying this because I, I feel like I've been abandoned. I'm calling out this Psalm because I am the deliverer. I am the one, I am the one that, that brings that hope. You know that psalm, the one that we talked about, you know that psalm where the writer moves from despair to triumph? The one where the writer moves from death to victory, from, from defeat to life, the one that, is, uh, that moves from being abandoned to delivered? I am the deliverer. I am the one doing the rescuing. I'm not just quoting a line. No, I am telling you that I am doing this for you. Jesus knew what he was doing when he said these words. He was experiencing the worst that the powers of this world could throw at him, namely suffering and death. And right now, death appears to be winning. But for those who knew the psalm and those that, that could hear Jesus' words, they knew that death does not get the last laugh. We know that it ends with all being delivered. Jesus knew, and now we know, he was not going to stay dead. He was going to rise. He was going to defeat sin and death. Death does not have the last, last word. King Jesus does. When you read the psalm and you see that the psalmist goes from despair to hope and victory and delivery, it is because of Jesus that we can be delivered. We can be delivered from sin and death and we can be delivered into life and righteousness. So what does that mean for us? Let me quote Frederick Buckner here at the end. He says that resur the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. Jesus has delivered us from sin, and one day all of creation will too be delivered. All will be redeemed and made right when Jesus returns. 
Life will have its valleys until those moments. We'll have more funerals. There will be more cancer. There will be more hard times. There will be more financial hardships. There will be more broken relationships, but they will not get the last laugh. Jesus has delivered us from sin and he can deliver you from whatever despair you are in. And one day all will be made right. Jesus has delivered you from sin. What else can't he do? The worst thing is never the last thing, but it is all on Jesus. If he is not Lord of your life, if you have not surrendered all of you to all of him, you will not know that deliverance because the ultimate saving that we can receive is not being saved from grief. It's not being saved from mourning. Those things are great and Jesus does those things but he has given us life, saved us from death. We may pass away here, but we will always live in eternity in the arms of Jesus. The worst thing is never the last thing. Let's pray.